Church Unscripted this week. And if you haven't already heard this, we are on all podcasting platforms. So make sure you check those out no matter where you get your podcasts. And if you're on YouTube watching this, then hit the notification bell, subscribe so you can know when the next episode comes up. Um, I'm here with Pastor Eric and Pastor... Oh, I'm just messing with you, David. Pastor David. No, I'm just messing with you. And Eric, on Sunday, you talked about being in the ring again. I mean, we're, we're in the last that we're in the last stretch of this series. It's coming to an end and, and it's pretty exciting, but maybe summarize some of what you shared with us on Sunday, because I, I love the passage you used and how you tied it into marriage. So maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, there's a phrase that we often use when we talk about our spouses and that is, you know, I've got my spouses back. And uh, that was the theme title of the message. But when I asked the question, what does it actually mean for us to get our spouses back, you know, to protect them, to cover them, to support them. And I came to Matthew chapter seven, where Jesus gives the imagery of, of two different kinds of people building houses. One house is built on the bedrock. And so when the wind and the waves and the rain come and slam mm-hmm. against that house, it, it stands, you know, might need to do some reconstruction, yep. but it survives compared to the person who built their house, their marriage on the sand. And of course, when the wind waves and rain come and beats against that house, since there's no foundation, everything comes crumbling down and crashes and moves. And so the idea Mm -hmm. is if you really want to get your spouses back to support them the way we want to, the first thing you have to do is consider the foundation that your marriage is built on. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's really where we centered our focus um, on really what Jesus said, because when when life hits with hurricanes, figuratively Mm -hmm. speaking, The question is not, how much do I love my spouse? That's not what they're asking for. They don't want to hear, I love you. What they want to know is is how supportive will you be? um, Mm -hmm. How much of a foundation will you be for me when those storms of life hit? And I really believe the only way that we can become the strong support for our wives is when we ourselves are anchored to the bedrock who is Jesus Christ. And so that was was the focus of it. Uh, What that looks like, practically speaking, is not how much of of Jesus teaching do we know? It's not built on our intellect and Mm -hmm. it's not even built upon how much we believe of Jesus. I mean, core theology is critical, but what he says in Matthew seven is everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. That's what wisdom looks like in terms of building a foundation on Jesus Christ. So I I like one thing that you just said. It was exciting. Only one thing. No, not only one one thing. thing. I knew you would say that. I knew you'd say that. You set yourself up though. So so the the part where you said, when the hurricanes come, it's not if they'll come. Mm -hmm. It's when they'll come. And I think in marriage, especially, or in any relationship, you really need to understand that there's going to be difficulties at some point. And so- Absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to start with a heavy hitter question and maybe we'll go from there. So okay. in our culture that prioritizes individualism, um, how would you encourage individuals to recognize and embrace that communal aspect that you're describing of that bedrock, that that presence of Jesus in the marriage or in a family? Because I feel like sometimes we're focused on ourselves, mm-hmm. but really what I'm hearing, and especially even in this passage is, this was to a people that were, the community was supposed to be anchored in the bedrock, not the sand. Yeah. So what does that look like in marriage and and how do you, as either spouse kind of figure that out? Oh yeah, well, it, it begins with recognizing, I mean, the, the, the focus of your faith is almost never on yourself scripturally. The focus mm-hmm. of your faith, faith is primarily on Jesus, but then it's the people around you. Yeah. And that's the nature of the cross, right? I mean, the very layout of Jesus' death was he spread his arms out, 
right, to encompass the community around him um, and, and the direction of the upward beam of the cross was focused on heaven, on the Father. Mm-hmm. And so the nature of our faith is always outward from us. And so if you, you go into a marriage relationship saying, this is mostly for me, then the marriage is gonna have problems. Um, but if you anchor yourself on Jesus, recognizing that's not only a strength for yourself, but it's there to support the house you're building, which is your whole family, then all of a sudden you've got the right perspective that, can, that the rest of your family can anchor themselves to. So it's, so it's not even just about you. It's really about others is why you're anchoring. Oh, it has to right? be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. David, do you have thoughts about that? No, or? I, I agree. <laughs> I, I thought that was great. Okay. <laughs> so so <laughs> you, you talked about a, a little bit about like basically um, the rock and the sand and you kind of yeah. contrasted a little bit, but you were yeah. talking about getting your, your spouses back. And so what does it mean to hold tightly to the gospel in face of spiritual dangers and spiritual warfare? How does that apply to marital relationships? Like if you fear you're under spiritual attack, how do you, how do you get your spouses back, you might say? With, like either way. There's a reason scripture is pretty clear. And I know it's politically incorrect, but in our culture today, um, they say, you know, love is love. And whoever I want to love, that's fine. And if there's any kind of a faith tradition, including Christianity that says, no, 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 there's a certain kind of person that you ought to marry. And so that's why the Bible says that do not be unequally yoked. And the reason is um, if, if, if I'm building a foundation on the bedrock of Jesus for myself, but then my spouse, my wife, is building a foundation on some other foundation, then all of a sudden we have competing foundations. Mm-hmm. And, and one will always cave to the other. So if I wanna hold tightly to the gospel and build my life on the, foundation, on the bedrock of the gospel, um, then if my wife is building a life or a foundation on something else, then I am more compelled to loosen my grip on the gospel because my wife has incredible influence on me. Your spouse has amazing influence on you. And if you're not both agreeing mm-hmm. to hold tightly to the gospel, mm-hmm. then you're liable to loosen your grip mm-hmm. on the gospel and then be pulled away and then kind of drown in the sea of spiritual dangers that are threatening your mm-hmm. faith. So when I read the New Testament, I see over and over and over again in multiple books, the dangers of letting go of your faith. I mean, the, in the book of mm-hmm. First Timothy itself, Paul is like, hey, you have the potential of abandoning your faith, shipwrecking your faith, wandering away from your faith. Um, Second Peter, uh, he he talks about uh, if you do these things, which he's talking about obedience to the gospel, then you will not fall. The the implication is that there's a way that the Christian can fall spiritually. And if you don't hold tightly to the gospel, then you're liable to do that. So if you don't have a spouse that's going to support you in that, then you're in trouble. And that's going to be really hard when you yeah. encounter spiritual warfare. Absolutely. Yeah, and it kind of comes back to the first question. If you have individual foundations, then you're individual. You're isolated from one another. You may be married by law, um, but your your faith is isolated and individual. So there's no, that foundation doesn't exist. And so yeah. it is important to have that. So what, what do you do with the people listening to us who say, you know what, we, we, when we got married, both of us weren't really followers of Jesus. But mm-hmm. since then I've become one, my spouse really hasn't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. What, what encouragement do you give them? Because I assume you're not gonna say, leave them. Yeah. I don't think you'd say that. Yeah. What would you recommend? Well, scripture says, I can't remember where, um, but it says to love your spouse in a way that they may come to know Jesus. And so mm-hmm. you are a advocate of the gospel in that relationship for that person. And while it may not be easy, I think if you can pursue that um, in love, wanting them to know Jesus, 
I think that takes the pressure off of you a little bit. If you just cling to the gospel, you continue to encourage them towards the gospel, then the pressure is off of you to really change their heart. That's all on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so, I mean. And, and sometimes it goes either way. So like I've, I, I have friends that that's happened. Yeah. One spouse meet, meets Jesus. Like, okay, I've got a relation with Jesus. They get really on fire for Jesus. And the other one just kind of rejects it. Right. And then there's other times where that passion and that love that David's describing is there. And then that person receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then they become just as passionate. And then it's almost, it's, it's almost like when you meet them, you're like, that really happened in your guys' life. Yeah. When you know them after that, you're like, right. That was the order of things that how, how that's miraculous. Yeah. Like that's how the Holy Spirit works. So, I mean, I think, I think it shouldn't be a discouragement. It should be an encouragement that like really it's out of your control anyways. Yeah. And so God's doing something mighty yeah, in your I'll, life. I'll go back to what I said in the message. I think one of the greatest gifts that you can give your spouse is not your, your income. It's not your bank account or your vacation spot. It's your stability in Jesus. Mm. And so if you have an unbelieving spouse, then, then the best way that you can love them, mm. best way that you can reach them so that they become a follower of Jesus yeah. is by showing them just how stable and established mm. your life is. When the hurricanes do show up and they'll be like, man, I, I want that sense of stability and firmness, steadfastness that you have. And then you say, well, it's, it's Jesus. And that's where I get it from. Yeah, it's a lot easier that way. So uh, you, you talked about a little bit of your personal experience. Yeah. And how does your personal experience emphasize the importance of mutual support in difficult times in marriage? Like I, I've heard it said once that like marriage is never 50-50, it's 60-40, you know, 70-30, like it's all at all different times. So, so what is your, your personal experience? What does that look like to have that mutual support um, in difficult times in marriage? What does scripture yeah, yeah. say about it? I mean, um, well, I, I don't know if I have a verse right now, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I have like a theme of scripture and that is, you know, love one another. And so what yeah. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another, which means it's not just I'm giving you, I'm serving you, supporting you, and you just take it. That's, that's um, I mean, that's the first, that's the great commission. I'm sorry, the great commandment. When yeah. Jesus yeah. says, I have a new command for you, love one another. So that's very much a give and take, a mutual love and service to each other. So what that looks like for Heather and me is micro acts and then macro acts. The micro acts is every single day, how can I serve her and how can she serve me? And so when she's in a rush, I make sure, you know, I'll take care of the dishes. When I'm in a rush, she says, I'll take care of the dishes. When there's a whole lot of scheduling conflict, it's like, all right, how do I, how do I um, step out of my own schedule to pick up the kids over here when she's mm -hmm. busy picking up the kids over here? So it's a dividing and conquering thing. That's the micro way that we mutually support each other. On a macro level, there are times where I need 100% of her support and I have about 10% to give. And then there's mm -hmm. times that she's got 10% to give because she's spent and she's beat up and I need to give 100% to compensate. Um, and so you just have to be willing to say, I'm gonna go all the way to where she is because she really can't take a step towards me right now. And I think that's the biblical impression or the biblical uh, display of love one another. Well, and that, and that, the way you just described that last part, yeah. it requires the Holy Spirit. Like it's out of our own power. Sure. Like sometimes in our own power, I'm like, I can't do anymore. I just can't, I can't 
I can't, I can't, you, you say I can't in your head, but then really the Holy Spirit empowers you to be that for your spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other week, so this is totally an aside and kind of funny. The, the other week when you talked about sacrificial and you're talking about love one another and talking about the humility of Christ, my wife leans over at me and she goes, well, we're gonna go on a ski trip next year over winter break with my parents. And I was like, oh, that's an act of sacrifice for me. And well, I thought I, to myself- Are her that, parents listening to this right They now? might be, I don't yeah. know. But that doesn't, but what, I, what my point is- That's not at all. No, what my point is, is um, I think sometimes that's how we approach it. She was joking. Yeah, she was yeah, just yeah. messing around. But the reality is that's sometimes how we approach marriage. And that's where we don't go whatever percent the other person needs. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it is 90%. Mm-hmm. I found out um, that Heidi does not like planning dates. She likes me planning our dates. I really struggle to find dates that she likes. I'm trying to figure out what she likes. And that's, you know, that's trying to get to know your wife, but but she's more satisfied if she's just not planning it. Does that make sense? So like yeah. sometimes when you get to know each other, um, when those difficult times come, you know what to lean into. Like, okay, what time can I help in this way? What can, time can I help in that way? And really it's it's managing almost a little bit further out and realizing the temperament of the person you're with. Mm-hmm. I mean, so David, I don't know if you were gonna yeah. add, you kept nodding well, you guys, the whole time. Well, no, you guys, you guys were talking about the percentages and I was just thinking, I mean, I feel like scripture, when it says love one another, it's not like a, it's not a 60, 40, a 10, 90, it's like a hundred, hundred. Like we have to be a hundred percent for each other all the time. And that's the mutual kind of respect and submission that we're talking about is like, I may feel like I'm at a 10%, but I'm still called to give 100% to my wife. And so it, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in and challenges us and helps us in those moments of like, I'm tired, I've had a long week, you know, all these things, but I, I have to commit to be 100% for my wife. Um, and she has to commit to be 100% for me because if, if any of those percentages dip, then there's... 10, 20, 30, 40% that's going somewhere else. Yeah. Whether, absolutely. you know what I mean? Like, and a lot yeah. of times this isn't verbal. A lot of right. times the way that you, you present this bedrock steadfastness to your spouse is not by how you talk about things. Right. It's by how they observe things. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. like what I mentioned in my message, it's when we go to the gym together, I display my anchoring to Jesus by the way I control what I look at. Mm-hmm. Because if she sees me looking at all of the other women in the gym who mm-hmm. perhaps are not dressed the most appropriate, then that's gonna create a sense of instability. Mm-hmm. Like, is, is he allowing thoughts to consume his mind? It's even financial. It's, is Eric making spending decisions, financial decisions for the sake of the marriage and family with obedience to Jesus mm-hmm. in mind? Because if he continues to rack up credit card debt, if he continues to buy things that are not mm-hmm. uh, necessary, well, that's that's relative to your opinion too. Well, <laughs> you know true. what I'm saying. Like, and again, like, you and your spouse have to agree on that. Yes, like, yes, if, yes. If we agree on this is the best way we can begin stewards of our resources of our time, is Eric, obeying, being obedient to those things, and therefore I present uh, a steadfast, firm right. foundation yeah. that my wife can now have peace of mind over. Yep. Um, and I think that's it's not always verbal. It can. So, so when my kids come down in the morning and they see, when our kids come down in the morning and see us spending time in the word, yeah. that mm-hmm. is presenting stability. Yeah. And they need to see these kind of things. Well, and one of the things that both you guys said right there that I think is so important is communicating and knowing your spouse and how they communicate. Because you can say something and think you're doing everything that Eric just said, <laughs> but then your wife's like, 
no, or your your husband's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And it really comes down to um, clarifying within that. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay, that's what you meant. Yep. This is what you meant. I remember just even a, a few days ago, um, my wife and I were talking. She said something and I interpreted it like here and she was like over here. Afterwards, she's like, oh, I totally understand what you're, where you're coming from. Because it was just one phrase, like, I'm going to da-da-da-da. And I was like, okay, yeah. then I'm going to go do this. And you're going to do that. And great. And then I interpreted it completely different than she did. And then we're like, wait a second. We both were on the same page, but we weren't. And we said the same thing, but it meant something completely mm -hmm. different to us. So I think I think it's important, especially in marriage, is knowing what yeah. essentially your, your, your spouse's maybe language is or communication yeah. language because sometimes it's implicit or sometimes it's very like specific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eric, you mentioned an example of like San Padre Island, the ocean tower. Did you talk San about that? San Padre Island ocean tower. Yeah, yes, yes. I'm just trying to be specific. <laughs> so um, how can that example serve as a cautionary tale for the necessity of a strong foundation in marriage? Like I like the example. It, it, it like gave me a picture yeah. of a strong foundation or not strong foundation, but what's what's the cautionary tale? Maybe for, you give know? the picture for those that maybe didn't hear the yeah. sermon. And yep. Then so, so the image was that there is this, it's called the San Padre Island Ocean Tower. It was meant to be a, a 31 story luxury high rise condominium. It's right there on the Gulf of Mexico and it would be a dream condominium vacation spot. And so each condo cost $2 million. In 2006, they started building it, and uh, but in 2008, they began noticing some cracks in the support structures that would go all the way up through this condominium. And they discovered that the, um, the support piers that were drilled over 100 feet into the clay underneath were beginning to buckle. The whole building sank 14 inches, more than that. Uh, the I-beams that held the structure together were beginning to twist. And I mean, so the whole structure was crumbling. And, and the deceptive nature is, is that if you looked at that building as it was being built, you would think this is a strong, stable structure that no hurricane's mm -hmm. gonna knock over. Um, and so the, the, the illustration, the caution is you might think that your marriage is strong until the hurricane comes, until the winds beat against that, life happens and all of a sudden things begin to twist and buckle. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge is if you've never thought about, you know, what is the foundation our marriage is built on? Mm -hmm. If you haven't thought about that, then you're at risk of building a life, a marriage together with the mm -hmm. wrong foundation. And so the hope, the challenge is before the hurricane comes and makes things crumble and fall apart, start to build the foundation now, even though you're already married. And you can start doing that. And, and the challenge is, if it's not with Jesus, then you have the wrong foundation. And so hopefully that was enough of a cautionary tale. Well, I just, uh, I, I really appreciate it. So that's yeah. why I wanted to do you yeah, share it here. And so the, I, think, I think what maybe some of us don't realize is, we can start that foundation any day. Absolutely. So, okay. so if we feel like we're buckled and everything's falling apart, um, I think we want to share with people that there's hope and that yeah. you can make a change right now. Yeah. Um, and that's also true for marriages that have already crumbled because yeah. there's several marriages listening to this, including on Sunday, mm -hmm. that is like, you know what? My marriage already fell apart. Yeah. And so now what do I do? Well, like you said, start now to building yeah. a new foundation. Yeah. yeah, and and it might look different than we thought. Yeah. Right. So. Well, in the la I mean, in the last year, I mean, we've in our house have had foundation issues. Yeah. And so I I picture that we were talking about that this morning is, like you know we saw the issue and we we addressed it and it was costly. It was a lot of work, um, but we're better off now because of it. 
And so I think that's even to, to further that, like it's better to see the cracks and say, hey, maybe let's look at that. And then when you open it up, you're like, wow, this is a bigger issue than we thought. Mm-hmm. But we have the right people, the right person in Jesus to help bring this foundation back together and then to be able to build on it. And I think it's, it's important. I mean, even like for Katie and I, we've really put a, an important, importance on date nights uh, this past year because it's kind of with kids, it easily disappears, right? And it's, uh, wait, what are date nights once you start? Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still like that intentionality, but part of those dates is like, how are things actually going? Like looking at maybe some of the small cracks. And I think if we could do that more frequently yeah. as, as yeah. couples, um, it may help mm-hmm. in the long run. And I just want to clarify, I want to define what those cracks are. Yeah. According to Jesus, Matthew chapter seven, the cracks are small indiscretions of, in, of disobedience mm-hmm. that are justified. And then you justify another indiscretion that forms another crack. And then you justify that. And before long, that's when the support pillars begin to buckle and crack and fall apart. And so the way to begin building a new foundation in Jesus is again, not by, not by believing the right things, mm-hmm. but by doing the right things. And so obedience becomes the key uh, to mm-hmm. building that right foundation to Jesus. Well, and you, as you were saying that, I kept thinking of the prophet Ezekiel in the Old yeah. Testament and the broken cisterns. God's yeah. talking about pouring water, living water into people mm-hmm. and their cisterns are broken, there's a crack. And so the water's not staying. Mm-hmm. It's like having a, a sieve at the bottom of your cistern. And yeah. so I think essentially, do you wanna be a bucket that's got holes in the bottom or do you wanna be a bucket that's filled with the living water of God? Great illustration. And so, yeah. so I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know what? It was so interesting when you said build your house on the rock and we're talking about marriage and we're talking about the differences between the two. Um, maybe, maybe this is a different direction to go, but what does it mean to build your house on the sand when it comes to marriage? Is it, is it, what are, what are the other directions? What are the sand particles that we could build it on? Uh, I've got some easy, go ahead, but. Well, I'm thinking, I mean, like, I I know people that their marriage is built on wealth and Mm -hmm. things and success in career and, Mm -hmm. and the love that they may have for one another is based off of their status in a job or um, the ability to have things or, and so I've seen that a lot. in marriages is that that sand foundation is like, well, yeah, we love each other, but the love is not deep. It's more of a shallow kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. if as long as I'm happy and as long as there's money, right, right. we'll love each other forever. I yeah. think that's probably one of the things. Yeah, I think there's actually one word to really encapsulate all of those examples you gave. And that is whenever you build a marriage off of an appetite, uh, whether that appetite is money or power or sex mm. or fame, whatever that is, mm-hmm. that becomes the shifting mm. sand that, that cannot stand in hurricanes, yeah. um, whatever that might look like. Yeah. So if, if you've got an appetite mm. that is driving you towards mm-hmm. a relationship, then you ought to become aware of that yeah. and be very cautious of it because you are setting yourself up for significant disappointment in, in relational brokenness. And, and some of that requires some introspection, like yeah. where am I at? Mm-hmm. Um, I think each spouse can kind of figure out, okay, where am I at right now? Yeah. Um, so uh, maybe we can end on this question, but this is this is kind of ongoing in the series, it seems. Um, practically speaking, in what ways can couples maintain fidelity to each other mm-hmm. and discipline in marriage, particularly in the 
context of resisting recklessness and temptations. Like I, I know there's some marriages, some people may be watching this and saying, okay, my marriage was built on the rock, but I feel like it's built on the sand right now. So how do we resist that recklessness yeah. and temptations? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, um, <laughs> I'm excited about this because I feel like it's, it's something of an easily understandable answer, but it is hard to implement. I'm going to go back to the illustration you you used just a few minutes ago, and that is the image of a bucket that you pour water into that has holes in it. And so the word of God that is being poured into your life continues to seep out through indiscretions of of disobedience. Mm -hmm. And so the best way to start plugging those holes so the word of God can continue staying in your life to be that foundation Mm -hmm. is is by putting parameters, boundaries, and and accountability in place. And so um, if... And so, especially in terms of other relationships. Um, and so, does your wife have full access to your phone at all times? Mm-hmm. Does your husband have all of your passwords to every social media account? We talk about social media. Yeah. Uh, do they have access to all of your Facebook messenger conversations that you thought are private? Yeah. Can your spouse see those things? Um, does she have the ability of knowing who you're with, who you're talking to, mm-hmm. where you're at, um, and not for controlling sake, but for accountability sake. Are there guardrails, parameters, boundaries, uh, strongholds in place to prevent you from going outside the protection um, and keep your marriage strong and firm? What, what would your encouragement be to somebody? I, I feel like in culture, boundaries is like non-existent. Like, you know, like you do you, whatever you want. Like, so how do we encourage people to set those boundaries in a space where boundaries shouldn't exist yeah. like in so so, so in something yeah. i'm yeah. i'm listening to as i hear you so i i naturally do not like being told i can't do something because i don't want to go do it that's what my wife told me like uh, jumping off a mountain i want to jump off the mountain if someone tells me i can't do it right so sounds smart so one of the things i know it's not <laughs> smart at all but one of the things i think about with boundaries is boundaries require humility yeah. i i know many men and women that say well i got myself in the situation i could handle it yeah And the next thing you know, their marriage is destroyed because they're like, oh, well, it's okay if I'm alone with this other person. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah, it's dangerous. When you say nothing's going to happen, that's when it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. wait a second. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're continuing to continue in that pattern, it requires a pattern. So I think there's two parts to that. So the boundary setting is culturally um, requires humility rather than pride. Um, And then the other part of it is also realizing within yourself, like, am I justifying something that really is the whole letting the living water of, you know, the living water go out? Mm-hmm. So anyways, but that's yeah, not I mean, a full answer. I mean, I imagine, imagine driving down the highway with no speed limit signs. I mean, you would say, well, that would be freedom because I'm not hindered by a speed limit that the law is going to enforce. But all of a sudden, if everybody's doing 150 miles an hour mm-hmm. on the road, you know what the consequences will be. It'll be reckless and chaos, right? And so freedom without boundaries is recklessness, carelessness. But freedom with boundaries, with accountability is not just freedom. It's actually wisdom and prudence and health and strength. And so um, I'm confident, I'm comfortable driving to Florida on the highway system because I trust, well, I don't know about trust. Do <laughs> you trust the other drivers? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. But at least I know that there's some protection from danger because of the, because of the parameters, the guardrails, because of the lines on the road, 
because of the system put in place that we're all trained in because of those speed limit signs. Yeah. And if that wasn't there, I would never mm. get on that road because mm. it's too dangerous. Um, and so, I think that's a... So experiencing true freedom actually comes with understanding the boundaries. Oh, yeah. That it that comes with. Oh, yeah. It, you, you, chaos is not freedom. That's bondage. Mm. I think that's a quotable right there. That's a one-liner we can end on. <laughs> there you go. So thank you. Thank you so much for being with us this week on Church Unscripted. Um, we're excited because next week is the last week of the series. Um, and then we're starting a new series, which I'm not going to let out the cat out of the bag yet or whatever they say, you know, one more euphemism or whatever it is. So uh, we're just really excited that we've been able to go through the series and connect with you about issues of marriage and relationships. And so we hope that this is beneficial to you. So if it is, Make sure you subscribe and hit the notification bell or download this on your favorite podcasting platform. So we'll see you next week. 